So the tomb is empty. He is risen. Jesus is alive. What happens next? Well, in the book of Acts, it starts off by telling us that after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days appearing to his disciples. He would appear to one here, a couple over there, as Jim rehearsed for us in the story of the two that were on their way to Emmaus. Sometimes the disciples would be gathered together in a room and Jesus would show up in their midst, even though the doors were closed and locked. And the Apostle Paul tells us that eventually he ended up over those 40 days appearing to up to 500 people. He made sure that they had a chance to touch him, to put their fingers in the wounds in his hands and in his side. They got to eat with him. They got to spend time with him so that they were completely convinced that he was no ghost This was no mass hallucination. By the end of the 40 days, those 500 were absolutely convinced that this Jesus was alive. Alive in a new way. They didn't have a lot of means to understand that. He would pop in and pop out. But they knew that he was alive. But what else did he do during those 40 days? He talked to them. He talked to them over and over and over again about this thing called the kingdom of God. Luke tells us in his gospel that that he opened their minds to the scriptures. He took them back through the scriptures, which are our Old Testament for them. Those were the only scriptures they had. So he went back to Genesis, and he showed them in Genesis where there was the promise of this seed to Abraham that would overcome the the serpent, and he said, that's me. I did that. And he took them to Deuteronomy where there's a a promise that there would be a prophet even greater than Moses one day. And he said, that's me. I did that. And he took them to Isaiah chapter 53, that amazing passage that talks about the suffering servant of Yahweh. And he takes them through that verse by verse and their eyes are open and they can see him hanging on the cross, dying for the world. And he says, that's me. I did that. And he took them to Daniel And that amazing vision that Daniel had of the kingdoms of this world. And at one point in time, there comes a stone from heaven that smashes the kingdoms of this world on the feet and breaks them all apart. And one like the Son of Man comes and establishes the kingdom of heaven upon whom his dominion there would be no end. And Jesus said, that's me. I did that. And by the end of those 40 days, this group was fired up. They were fired up. They realized that this Jesus, the Son of God, had accomplished everything that the Old Testament had promised and prophesied. Messiah had come. The reign of God had begun. The kingdom of heaven was now on earth, and they were ready to go. All they had to do was wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which would come ten days later. So, Let me try and find an analogy. What can I liken this to that we might be able to kind of understand? So let's use our imaginations a little bit. This one, the kids should be able to identify with. Let's say that your school is putting on a play. 
let's make it a musical. So maybe your school is putting on a musical. Pick one. Uh, Annie. Let's say your school is putting on a musical, and it's Annie. Okay? Your school is putting on Annie. And, and let's say that you get to be part of the cast. No better. Let's say you actually get the lead, and you get to be Annie. All right? So your school is putting on a play. It's a musical. It's Annie, and you get to be the lead. And moms and dads, you'll understand this. If you've ever had kids involved in a school play or musical, you get this. You, you know how much work goes into that. And so if there's anybody here who can identify with that, you know that it, you take weeks and weeks to prepare. And your teachers, the ones who are, are coaching you, the ones who are training you, they take weeks to get you ready. You learn your lines. You learn your songs. They tell you, we want you to stand over here, we want you to move like this, and then we want you to move over here, we want you to, all the choreography, and you learn it all, and the teachers are there right beside you, working with you, working with you, until one day, there you are, out on the stage, performing it on your own. Well, that's a little bit what these 40 days were like. Jesus showing up, talking about the kingdom of God, opening their mind, reframing their understanding of what this kingdom is, convincing him that he was alive, so that he could then, what? Send them out. Send them out. So that just as he was sent into the world, he would send them to continue the mission by telling people about this kingdom and what Jesus had done. No doubt he would have taken them back to what he said to them when he said, sent them out early during his ministry just as a trial run. And we talked about that in other times in the year, but Matthew chapter 10 records when Jesus sends his disciples out. And he would have rehearsed with them the things that he told them then. We're just going to take a little passage from that and talk a little bit about it. So in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 31, it says this. The student is not above their teacher, nor the servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household. So don't be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that, is not, that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now did you catch what he said? Three times in that passage he tells them not to be afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of what? Well, he's preparing them to send them out, and he's told them point blank. He says, look it, if you see how they've treated me, be prepared, because there's bound to be some obstacles. There's bound to be some resistance. There's bound to be some challenges. There's bound to be some name-calling. There's bound to be some opposition. Because I am sending you out into a world where there is a lion waiting to devour you. And there are wolves waiting to attack you. But there are also lost sheep. There are also lost sheep just like you 
that I want to go and find. There are lost sheep that are harassed and helpless. They are distressed. They're without a shepherd. They're lost. And my mission is to send you to help me go and find them. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What is our natural reaction to fear? There are two natural... Did I get unplugged? There we go. There are two natural instincts that we have to fear. When we're encountered with a fearful situation, it's fight and flight. We all kind of know that. So we either, you know, we, we get this defensive posture where we, we dig in our heels and we stand our ground and we defend our turf and we, we argue our point and we're ready to contest the ground that we stand on. We're ready to fight. Or we turn and run. We give up, we abandon, we take off and we disengage. But is there a third way? When Jesus says, do not be afraid, is he hinting at a third way for his disciples to engage the world? Well, he is. 1 John chapter 4.18 says that perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. And so the way that we overcome our fear is not through fight or flight, but it is through love. It is through love. It is through engaging the world in a loving way. The same way that Jesus did and modeled for us. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. But first, why do we need to think about this today? Why is this a topic that you and I need to spend some time thinking about today? And that's largely because we live in a world where evangelical Christians have an image problem. We have an image problem. I uh, googled uh, evangelical Christian in images and very quickly you find the two top images at the top. So much of the imagery around what it is to be an evangelical Christian is all about the political environment and the engagement of our world in a, in a defensive and an accusatory manner. And you have to go long down through the page, way down to the bottom, after looking at dozens and dozens of images before you find an image that reflects compassion and service and caring and mission. We have an image problem. We are evangelical Christians. What does that mean? The word evangel means good news. It means good news. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It is the good news of the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' message. That's the church's message. And it's good news. It is a gospel. And evangelicals, evangel, are Christians who believe the gospel. But more than that, we believe that it is our mission to share that gospel with the world, that it's good news for the world. We believe that. That's one of the hallmarks of being an evangelical Christian. We believe the good news is to be shared with the world and it's our job to do that. We don't want to give up what it means to be evangelical. But we have a serious image problem with that in our world today. There's a conflict going on between our world and the church and Christians and especially evangelical Christians. Because too many of us as, as evangelical Christians are not engaging the world the right way. 
or we're not engaging the world at all. But either one is a failure for the church. Brian Stiller, um, who I had the privilege of meeting a, a number of times, was the leader of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada for many years. Uh, and also the president of Tyndale University College and Seminary for a bunch more years after that. And more recently, he's been a worldwide ambassador for the Worldwide Evangelical Fellowship. A number of years ago, he wrote a book called Christ and Caesar, Christians in the Public Sphere. And it was all about how, from his experience, all of these experiences he's had, how should we as Christians, and especially evangelical Christians, how should we engage the public world, the world where we go to school, the world where we work, the world where we live, the world where we shop. How should we engage it? It's a great little book, lots of practical advice in it, but here's one of the things that he said that really stood out for me. He says, at the heart of the matter is a need for Christians to be radical in their understanding and in the outworking of the gospel of Jesus. We don't need more Christians spouting more political theories. Our citizens need to hear the language of the gospel. The gospel offers a radical presence that is not merely words on paper, but it is the way of life of Jesus of Nazareth and his prescription for our minds, hearts, and behavior. I love what he says there. He says the gospel offers a radical presence. That's what the kingdom of God is. We've been learning about that since September. The kingdom of God is an invitation for God's rule and for people to come under that rule and to begin to live a new way of life. More than that, to be a new kind of human being. And as Christians, for those of us who are already part of that, it is to live that presence out. It is to live that reality out in all of our spheres of influence. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools in the places that we shop. We live a life that shows a radical difference to the world, a radical presence. And there is no way that you can have been part of this church for the last six months and not have heard messages on things like the Beatitudes or other parts of, of this Kingdom of God series and realize that what we're talking about is fundamentally different from the world out there. Fundamentally different. And you and I, as Christ followers, as evangelical Christians, are charged with not only living that life out there, but offering it to others. And inviting others into it. Because of what Jesus has done for us, and what he has done for them. And what Stiller's trying to get at is that we don't need to have a confrontational approach too many Christians are either being confrontational in their approach or they've quit the battle altogether. And either way is unhelpful. A better way to engage the world is to engage the world in love and in compassion and to live the kingdom life in their presence. Stiller tells a story in his book um, about how he had an opportunity uh, while he was still um, involved with the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, so this is going back a number of years ago, he had the opportunity to have a 40-minute meeting with Prime Minister um, Jean Chrétien at that time. And so he had 40 minutes with the Prime Minister. 
So he and his team put together an agenda and a plan. What were they going to talk to the prime minister about? What, what did they need to tell the prime minister about? And so they had all of these concerns and issues that the evangelical community had on their minds. And they had prepped Brian. And they said, okay, when you get in there, you do this. We want you to what, you know, tell him about this. Get him to do something about that. Show him what our, what our issues are. Show him what our issues are. And Brian was all pumped up and ready to go for this meeting. And he got to the Prime Minister's office a few minutes early and they said, well, you've got a few minutes before the Prime Minister can see you. And they put him in a little separate room and just gave him some quiet time before he was able to go in and see the Prime Minister. And he sat down with his chair and he opened up his Bible. And he opened it up to a passage in Daniel and he read one verse from Daniel which talked about rising up to bless the king. And he felt God speak to him. He felt the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, when you go in there, bless the king. And so he argued with God, like we all do. And he said, oh, come on, God. If I do that, my team's going to be really mad at me. But he just hung there. When you go in there, bless the king. So he didn't know what he was going to do, but he got into the prime minister's office, and he sat across, across the desk from the prime minister, and they chit-chatted for a few minutes, and he asked how things were going with the family and all these other kinds of things. And finally, the prime minister cut to the chase and said, Brian, why are you here? What is your agenda? And if you know anything about Jean Chrétien, that's true to form. And so Brian Stiller looked at the prime minister and he said, Mr. Prime Minister, I have no agenda. I have simply come in here to bless you. And so he shared a few passages of scripture about how God had honors leadership and, and leaders serve under, under God's care and provision and then he prayed for him and he left. Once he went back to his team, you guessed it, the team said, how'd it go? Uh, not as planned. And his team was mad at him. His team was upset. They saw it as a lost opportunity. A week went by. And a week later, Brian Stiller was in the airport on his way to some place and he heard his name call up, Brian! And he stopped and he turned around and he recognized one of, one of Jean Chrétien's cabinet ministers was also in the airport on his way to catch a plane. He said, Brian, Brian, have you got a minute? So Brian stopped and he, he paid attention to this person and the person said, what on earth did you say to the prime minister? And immediately Brian Stiller, he thought he was in trouble. He thought he did something wrong. And he said, why? How did you know about that? And he said, well, he said, we had caucus uh, a few days ago and the prime minister just kept going on and on about this meeting he had with you and how amazing it was. And he said, the prime minister told the whole caucus this after that meeting with Brian Stiller. He said, we cannot lose sight of the evangelical Christians in our nation. If we do, it's our loss. So there was probably more happened in the spiritual plane with that meeting than if he'd gone in there right, ready to confront the prime minister on a number of, of things. You see, when Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's not saying don't engage, but he's saying you don't have to be confrontational. In fact, he even told his disciples, he said, when you're in, in hot water and you're on, on, the, on the public seat, you don't even have to worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give it to you at that moment. That's when he said, don't be afraid. I'm with you. You're with me. We're in this together. I'll be with you to the very end. Just go. What would that look like? 
What does that look like? Well, Brian Stiller gives some practical advice, which I'll uh, uh, begin to end with here. Just a few things, and I just want to say a few things about each of these. How do we engage others in our world with love? First of all, be spirit-led. We're talking about that. We know that this kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. It's one that we have to enter into in the spirit, and we experience in the spirit, and we live in the spirit. We also know that it's very difficult, next to impossible, for someone who is not spiritually minded to perceive it or understand it. It makes no sense. But it's real, and it's powerful. To be spirit-led, what are the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the hallmarks of a spirit-led individual. These are the fragrance of a spirit-filled kingdom. Love we get, joy we get. That word for patience is an amazing word. We lose it in our, in our English uh, New Testaments. The King James calls it long-suffering, and it's a very powerful word. It means to bear up without retaliation. To bear up under with, without retaliation. That word, long-suffering. And that's part of the approach that Brian Stiller is saying to us. We need to have a spirit-filled approach, the, the fruit of the spirit. When we think of our neighbors, when we think of our coworkers, when we think of those that we go to school with or university with, how do we think about them? Do we think about them with the mind of God? And do we think about them with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. They're not enemies to be won over. They are lost sheep to be found. Distressed and harassed, even though they don't even know it. When we take antibiotics, for example, for a fever, you don't take the whole dose. You don't take 10 days worth in one shot, right? In fact, they tell you they don't do that. They say, take it for a little... And even after you feel better, you still have to finish the whole course, they say, to make sure that you get the full effect of antibiotics. That's what, that's what it's like to be an influence in our workplaces and in our schools and in our neighborhoods is to take the long approach, play the long game. There's a rabbinical story that's told about Abraham and it goes like this. Abraham was sitting outside of his tent one evening when a man came out of the dust of the desert. He was an elderly man, quite, quite old, and he moved towards Abraham's tent. And as soon as Abraham saw him, he got up and he went to him and he welcomed him. And he said, please, come in and stay. Come in and stay. And so the man came in. Once the man was in Abraham's tent, Abraham uh, ordered that food be prepared so that he could be fed. And he got a basin and a towel and he filled it with water. And he washed the dust of the day off of the man's feet and made him feel welcomed and at home. The feast was brought before Abraham and his guest. And the man just dove in and began to eat ravenously. And Abraham stopped and said, Friend, do you not pray before you eat? Do you not worship God? And the man said, I have no God. I worship nothing. Abraham got angry. And he got up and he grabbed the man by the shoulders and he shook him and he tossed him outside of his tent and he said, You heathen, get out of here! Later that night, the Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham, where is the stranger I sent to you? And Abraham said, Lord, 
He didn't believe in you, so I threw him out. And the Lord said, Abraham, I have been patiently waiting for that man for 80 years. Could you not have endured him for one night? It's a rabbinical story. I'm not saying it's biblical. But there's something to learn in a story like that, isn't there? Because where is the love? People are not missions. People are not projects. People are people that God loved and died for and lives for and has sent his church into the world to find and claim for the kingdom of God. So here's what we're going to do at Forestbrook for the next 40 days. And I'm inviting you to be part of it. We are moving this spring out of Easter into the final stage of our theme on the kingdom of heaven. We said we were going to look at the kingdom of heaven through Matthew's gospel this year in particular so that we could understand what it is and that we could come to see ourselves as citizens of that kingdom. And I hope that's happening in your life if you've been attending here regularly. I hope you're beginning to experience that. But the third part was to say, when we know that we are part of the kingdom of God, it should change the way we engage our world. And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next few months to the end of the ministry year. And just as Jesus was 40 days with his disciples, we're going to ask and invite you to spend the next 40 days in prayer about the kingdom of God in your areas of influence in your life. When you leave today, you'll be offered a card like this by the ushers when you go out. It's just something to stick on your fridge, something to remind you of this 40-day campaign. And we're going to ask that for 40 days we pray, your kingdom come here in my home, in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my school, in my university, in my college. Your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. And we're going to ask you to practice what it means to live the kingdom of heaven in each of those places. And that's all we're asking for 40 days. And let's see what God chooses to do. Let's see how God changes us, changes others, and brings his kingdom further into our world. Today we celebrate Easter. Jesus is alive. And he said, go out there and don't be afraid. Don't be combative. Don't run away. Love. Love. And don't worry. I'm with you. I'm with you to the very end. You're with me. We're in this together. Let's go find some lost sheep, he says. Just as Jesus was sent... He says he sends us. He sends us into this world. There should be no one on earth that is pumped up for the kingdom of God as the Christian. Because Jesus is alive and we know it. Jesus is alive and we know it. And it's our job to show it to the world and tell people why we're such an amazing group of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are an amazing group of people. Not because of us, but because of you. 
because we live in your kingdom now. We are so delighted to call Lord or Jesus Lord and Savior and King, and we welcome him in our lives. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and just encourage us to engage the world around us at every point. Whatever interaction we have with others, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and with love for the world that you came and you died for and you now live for and you have now sent us into as your messengers, as your witnesses, as your church. Kingdom come. Kingdom come. May your kingdom come in Pickering and Points West and in Ajax and in Whitby and Points East and all points all around as it is in heaven. And send us, Lord. We will go. In your name we pray. Amen.